Hello, Local Matters listeners. I have to provide you with a disclaimer for this particular episode. Just so you know, for our radio edition, I normally record uh, on the day before, sometimes a couple of days before. Uh, This time I actually started recording after the election results started coming in, but I finished up the episode around 30 minutes before it was officially announced that Raphael Warnock was the projected winner. So that is my explanation for saying during the episode that it was too early to call that particular race. Uh, Since that time, now that I've had a chance to take a look at the most updated numbers, it also appears that John Ossoff will be a winner, although that has not been officially uh, projected at this this point. Uh, And in the Georgia Public Service Commission race, it appears as if the Republican candidate will hold on. Uh, There are still a number of votes to be counted there, but um, the incumbent's name recognition, uh, as well as what appears to be a lack of funding from the standpoint of the Democratic challenger, Mr. Uh, Daniel Blackman, uh, looks like uh, he may, in fact, lose to that incumbent, Bubba McDonald. Uh, Again, thank you all so much for being a part of the Local Matters family. Uh, I enjoy giving this information to you. Uh, As always, I think there are some unique insights in this particular show uh, that will be interesting regardless of the outcome. And I hope it gives you a better insight into the minds of local and state government officials as they go about uh, the most important duty of making sure that your votes are counted. Thanks for listening and be blessed. Good afternoon, Metro Augusta. This is Janice Allen Jackson welcoming you to the January 6th edition of Local Matters, a show designed to make you a more confident voter and a more engaged citizen. As always, today's show is brought to you by my consulting firm, Janice Allen Jackson and Associates. You can learn more about me and the services that we provide at my website, which is JaniceAllenJackson.Weebly.com. First off today, I want to wish you a happy new year. I hope that your 2021 is off to a good start. I know many are expecting that Uh, 2021 is going to be a better year than 2020, and we certainly hope that that is the case. But we also know that many of those things from 2020 that we did not appreciate have followed us into the new year. Uh, When you look at the coronavirus, uh, looking at the number of cases right now nationwide, we're up to over 350 deaths as a result of the virus. Uh, This week has hit uh, particularly hard because I know a couple of people personally that have passed away. Uh, We also are looking at the political turmoil in uh, Washington, D.C., Uh, with uh, the possibility of a uh, showdown, if you will, in Washington as uh, the Congress considers accepting the votes of the Electoral College. We'll have to see how that unfolds. Uh, And also one of the other things that came up 
that is giving me reason for pause is the Blake case in Kenosha, Wisconsin. I just released that the district attorney there has decided not to prosecute the officers who uh, actually shot uh, Mr. Blake a few months ago. So I expect that there will be some unrest, not just in Kenosha, but also in other parts of the country as a result of that decision. Uh, Meanwhile, here in Georgia, as we have discussed over the last few weeks, uh, we are the center of the universe. Uh, There is so much riding on the two Senate races uh, that uh, we are occupying the news in a way that we have not in a long, long time. Um, It is a very close race. uh, And at this point, uh, I don't have uh, the winner. Uh, We know that there are a number of votes to be counted. The counting uh, may continue uh, through Friday, actually, at the very least through Friday, uh, because that is the last day when those uh, overseas ballots are to come in. I think they have to be in by five o'clock on Friday of this week in order to be counted. So we know the counting will continue. And as the race is as close as it is, uh, those ballots could be very significant in terms of determining the outcome of both of the Senate races. Uh, We also, of course, had the race for the Georgia Public Service Commission. Uh, That is the race that many did not know were on the ballot. Uh, I saw an article in the Atlanta Journal-Constitution where they interviewed a few people coming out of the polls and they asked them, hey, did you know about that race before you went in? And they said, no, absolutely not. There are so many smaller Uh, organizations and entities in the state of Georgia uh, that folks just don't know about. And that, unfortunately, is one. uh, Obviously, the votes uh, were tallied for that race. So we'll talk about that some as well. Because at this point, we don't have all of the results, don't have the final results. I will focus on what I have gleaned so far from what we know about these elections. Uh, And some of the things actually became personal reflections for me as somebody who worked in local government for quite a while. Uh, There was a lot of things that resonated with me that I'd like to share with you today. Uh, First, in terms of the job of the director of voter registration and elections, that is one of the positions that typically I consider honestly one of the easiest jobs in local government until there is an election. Um, As you may uh, be aware, most of the leadership jobs, and when I say leadership jobs, I mean the department director level positions within the government, department director level and up, you know, you get to uh, deputy administrators, administrators or city managers and assistant city managers. Once you get at that level of department directors and above, all of those jobs tend to be stressful at some point. Um, There are always going to be incidents that raise the degree of public scrutiny on decisions that have been made. Um, There's going to be scrutiny not only by the public, but by the elected officials that those folks work for. Uh, From time to time, you know that there are going to be some things that come up that are going to create a great deal of stress. Uh, Also, obviously, the most predictable one of those is the annual budget process. Um, That is a stressful time because there's always more needs and more wants and there are resources. So we know that the level of stress is ratcheted up at that point and um, trying to figure out what it takes to get a budget approved by the elected officials can be quite difficult. Uh, The 
voter registration and elections position is a little bit different. Uh, it's the position where if there's not an election that year, it's very routine. You're looking at a small staff. Uh, you're processing uh, requests for voter registration. Uh, you're giving out information to people who may be interested in running for office. Uh, you're making sure that you're uh, getting prepared for the next year. And then that next year comes along and there's an election. Um, nothing like the election that we've just seen when there's a presidential election year. Um, that is just a huge level of stress, regardless of what is going on. Uh, this time you've got that level of stress for an extended period of time uh, because, you know, you had primaries, primaries earlier during the year because of COVID-19. The elections were delayed. And then you had the general election in November and then there was a runoff. Uh, so it has been stress of huge proportions over an extended period of time for those who are working in voter registration and elections. Uh, so this year's roller coaster ride is more severe uh, than it typically would be. But again, it kind of comes with the territory. I remember when I was in Albany uh, after a tough election, I would always go give a hug to the director of voter registration and elections because I knew she was under so much stress. Uh, likewise, here I'd check in with the director to see, hey, how you doing uh, after you have one of those very taxing elections. Uh, this time, it's even more difficult because the scrutiny is not just what you will get from the candidates. I mean, usually there's going to be a candidate or a supporter of a candidate that claims something went wrong that placed them at a disadvantage. And that is tough enough to have those types of allegations. Uh, obviously, if something goes wrong at the polls, you know, the lights go out, machines go down. Um, you have to make adjustments on the fly. All those sorts of things are extremely stressful. Um, but there's nothing like this particular election. As I watch the national uh, news, I see that everyone is looking at some particular counties, our larger counties in the state, such as DeKalb and Chatham. Uh, for a long time, DeKalb County was sitting there with only 37 percent of the vote having been counted. Uh, and everybody was going, you know, well, when are these votes in DeKalb going to come? We know that's going to make a pretty significant difference in the election. But um, those votes aren't in. So I'm sure the state office was calling them to figure out what was going on. I'm sure their local uh, officials were, you know, on them to make sure that those votes got done. And, you know, when folks are under pressure, sometimes they make mistakes. Uh, just a really, really difficult time for any elected officials, any uh, elections officials, but especially those in those counties in a high profile election like this. Uh, one of the things that was a pleasant surprise uh, was how fast the votes have been counted uh, this time around. Uh, I think there are a few reasons for that. One is that there were fewer offices on the ballot, uh, which means the counting goes more quickly. There are also fewer ballots in each county because the turnout was not as good this time around as it was back on November 3rd. And also because all of the counties began to process the absentee ballots earlier, which is to say that they opened the envelope. So all they had to do was count votes after the polls closed on Tuesday at 7 p.m. Uh, next thing that struck me uh, as I uh, 
watch this process was watching Mr. Gabriel Sterling. He is the Georgia Voting System Implementation Manager. And he's also, I believe, the Chief Operating Officer of that office. Uh, as I watched him, it made me proud to be someone who had been a government official, a bureaucrat, if you will. Uh, he is not an elected official. He is someone who is appointed directly by an elected official. Republican Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger appointed him as the chief operating officer of his office when he assumed office in January of 2018. Uh, the reason that Mr. Sterling's uh, comments, his news conferences and so forth over the last few weeks have resonated with me is because I have been in a similar position before. Uh, he, as well as the rest of the voting officials in the state, have been under fire by no less than the president of the United States with accusations that they have not done their jobs well. Uh, what I saw from Mr. Sterling was someone who takes pride in his work, uh, someone who wants to defend the integrity of the government and the actions of the employees at both the state and county levels as they counted those votes. And I saw someone who was willing to refute a conspiracy theory because he knew that that was the best thing to do in order to ensure that there could be public confidence in the work that they do. I have been in similar positions on several occasions in my career. I would hate to do it uh, when you have to go out in public and basically say that somebody doesn't know what they're talking about. Um, but sometimes you just have to do that. Uh, and I appreciated the way that he met the challenge of telling the truth to an angry president in public. I read an article in the Vanity Fair magazine where he just said as he would listen to those untruths, those conspiracy theories, he would just sit there and scream at his computer. Um, something that I have done many times, I'd be screaming at the computer, the TV set, you know, wherever it was that I was hearing those untruths. And it would just make me so angry. And you feel like you have to defend yourself. Um, it's a tough thing to do to go out and essentially call somebody else a liar, but you've got to do it. Uh, having been faced with that many times, I really, really appreciate it seeing uh, Mr. Sterling take on that role and handle it well. I also did some background research on him. He's a former city council person in Sandy Springs, Georgia. He's done some political and public relations consulting. He actually owns a barbecue restaurant and a brewery. Uh, and uh, he's been in and around uh, public affairs for several years. Third thing that I picked up on was how extraordinarily difficult it is to run for and win statewide office when you are either black or female. Uh, in the research that I have conducted, it appears that there have only been about three African-Americans who have ever won statewide races in Georgia, and they have all been Democrats. One was uh, Thurbert Baker, who was the former attorney general of Georgia from 1997 to 2011. He ran for governor and lost uh, after his term of attorney general. Uh, my boss at that time was actually friends with Mr. Baker. I think they had attended graduate school together. 
uh, and he told me that Mr. Baker was planning to run for governor. And I knew uh, then, even though I was not living in the state of Georgia at the time, I knew that that was going to be a long shot. Uh, because, you know, it's just it's so difficult to run and win successfully statewide office, particularly the higher offices. Attorney General, yes, anything beyond that seemed to be out of reach. Also, in 1999, there was a gentleman by the name of David Burgess who served on the Georgia Public Service Commission. Uh, he was appointed to a seat in 1999 and he ran successfully as an incumbent in 2000. But then he ran for re-election in 2006 and lost. Uh, there's also been Michael Thurman, who was Georgia Labor Commissioner from 1999 to 2011. Uh, he served there uh, successfully, but then he ran for the U.S. Senate and lost. Also, in regard to women, uh, after doing my research, I see that Kelly Leffler is the first woman to serve in the U.S. Senate from Georgia, though she didn't actually win that office. You have to realize she was appointed by Governor Kemp to fill the unexpired term of Johnny Isaacson. Uh, when I looked nationwide, the picture is much different. The first woman to actually be elected to the Senate was from Arkansas in, believe it or not, 1932. So other states have been successful in electing women. Uh, I think about a quarter of the senators in Washington are women at this point, which is a mark of progress, not parity, but it is progress from where we have been. Also, if you look at the state of Georgia in terms of women running and winning statewide office uh, in my brief research, facts may be a little bit different from this. But what I was able to locate was that uh, Kathy Cox, former secretary of state, was the first woman woman to win uh, a statewide office in Georgia. That also happened in 1999. Uh, later, Republican Karen Handel ran and won uh, the Secretary of State's office before she went on to run for uh, the U.S. Uh, House of Representatives. And both Cox and Handel also ran for governor and lost. So the theme here is that women and blacks can win statewide in rare instances for some of those lower level offices, not governor or lieutenant governor. But when they try to seek the governorship or the U.S. Senate, they have lost. Uh, perhaps uh, Reverend Warnock will change that narrative. One of the things that we also see here with Warnock running against Leffler is that regardless of who wins, it will be a historic win uh, in terms of having either a woman elected to represent Georgia in the U.S. Senate or having an African-American elected to uh, the U.S. Senate from Georgia. At present, there are only two U.S. Senators who are African-Americans. One, of course, is Cory Booker, who represents New Jersey. The other is Tim Scott, a Republican who represents our neighboring South Carolina. Of course, uh, Kamala Harris had been there lost that seat, uh, was not replaced by another African-American. So if Reverend Warnock is successful, he will become the third African-American in the United States Senate. Interestingly, uh, there have been only a few 
senators, African-American senators since Reconstruction. Uh, One was Edward Brooke. He was a Republican from Massachusetts uh, going back to the 60s and 70s. Carol Mosley Braun, who was from Illinois, only uh, other African-American woman aside from Ms. Harris. And of course, uh, former President Barack Obama was also a member of the U.S. Senate from Illinois. So Illinois actually sent two African-Americans to the Senate when most other states have not sent any at all. One universal political truth is that uh, you win when your people come to the polls. So turnout is extremely important. Uh, As you know, there have been a huge number of folks working to get turnout, uh, not just in Richmond County, but throughout the state. Uh, Many of those dollars that have come uh, in as a result of these elections have gone toward canvassing and other types of activities that get people to the polls. As of uh, the latest, I see Richmond County's turnout was approximately 55%, which is 10% less than the turnout was on November 3rd. Uh, When those military ballots and the others come in, it looks like that number, of course, could increase. But um, the Secretary of State's office is quite pleased, actually, that this turnout is so high. Apparently, this is a record turnout for a runoff election in Georgia. Uh, The estimated turnout is between 4.5 and 4.6 million versus a 5 million uh, voter turnout in November. So it's only a few hundred thousand less than what we saw in the general election. Uh, As of what I understood around midnight, uh, there are only about 200,000 more votes to be counted. 17,000 or so of those are military and overseas ballots, and they have until Friday at 5 p.m. to come in. So the counting will continue through that time period, uh, and we'll see at that point who the winners are. Um, as it relates to the Georgia Public Service Commission, again, another statewide race. Even though technically they, those uh, folks represent a district, uh, it is a statewide race. I see that uh, the incumbent, uh, Mr. Bubba McDonald, is leading. I don't think that race has been called yet, but uh, he does have the lead. Um, but, but that, too, is close. He has about 51 percent of the vote. Uh, So all of these races have been very, very close, very, very competitive, uh, which is something that we want to see uh, creates nail biters. Obviously, I've seen some people asking, well, how could it be this close? How could it happen? You have to realize that when we have a democracy, as we do, anybody who wants to exercise their right to vote can and people differ. Uh, Georgia, uh, while it does appear to be changing, is a polarized state. Uh, Even if the two Democratic candidates do win, uh, which seems to be somewhat likely, although I don't want to call anything at this point, even if they do win, you've got to look that uh, their opponent uh, is going to get 2.1 million votes, uh, even in defeat. So that says that we are a diverse state. Uh, says the race was heavily contested and says everybody gave it their best shot in order to win these races. 
For next week's show, we'll have some more discussion about these because I'm sure there'll be plenty of things to unfold over the next few days. Uh, I am going to invite former Mayor Bob Young back to talk with me about those. Uh, We had a very uh, interesting discussion the last time. I think I entitled that show, uh, What Color is Georgia? Uh, So we'll have better feedback about what color Georgia is, how and why uh, when we approach next week's show. Uh, Also, topics that I want to cover in the month of January include this discussion about the Augusta Judicial Circuit. Um, About a month or so ago, Columbia County announced their intentions to uh, ask the state to study the idea of uh, breaking off the Augusta Judicial Circuit. Uh, Right now, it's three counties, Burke, Columbia and Richmond. Uh, their idea would be to uh, separate out Columbia County. I'm not sure how that discussion is going to go and how those decisions are made. Uh, so we'll try to get somebody in to come talk to us about that. So you have a better understanding of that process. Uh, next thing we want to discuss uh, will be uh, related to just all the money that was spent on these elections. I saw a number of $830 million, close to a billion dollars that was spent, if not just by the candidates, by all those other organizations that were working either to get out the vote or to endorse and promote their candidates. Uh, So uh, there was a huge amount of money. I had several Facebook friends who were just up in arms about how that money could have been better spent. Uh, But when you look at the system that we have, uh, it forces candidates and those who support candidates to put out that sort of money in order to get their message across. Also, I want to get back to the uh, COVID topic. I mentioned earlier about the deaths. I want to make that clear in the United States right now, 357,000 deaths, 21.1 million cases, uh, just a huge number of cases. uh, And we thought that it was going down for a while. Instead, it's moving in the opposite direction. Uh, The virus also seems to move from state to state. Uh, You look at the current states with the highest per capita rate of new infections, uh, and they include Arizona, California and Rhode Island, you know, a little small Rhode Island. So uh, this virus appears to be an equal opportunity virus. It's gone everywhere. Uh, and it just a matter. It seems to be, you know, when is your turn for your particular area to have uh, a huge infection rate? In terms of Richmond County, uh, right now looks like we have had uh, fifteen thousand seven hundred ten cases with two hundred fifty nine deaths. If you look statewide in Georgia. 683,000 cases with 10,725 deaths. So uh, it just keeps happening. uh, And it's just so crucial that we protect ourselves. I know there are uh, some people who uh, just don't believe in uh, wearing masks. They don't believe in staying in. So, you know, I can't let this hold me back. And I know we're all tired of of staying in. We're tired of not going to visit our friends and loved ones. But uh, one of the things that uh, hit me with the most recent person that I know to pass away from the virus, uh, he's somebody that was an avid Facebook 
uh, participant, he was always posting something. And one of the pictures he posted, last one, I think that he posted, uh, he talked about uh, how important it is to wear masks. And um, he uh, seemed to believe that he uh, got it from his grandkids. Of course, they go to school and, you know, you see other kids, you get exposed to things, the kids bring it home. And next thing you know, grandma, grandpa has passed away. So it's just a tough situation out there. I want everyone to look out for themselves, look out for their loved ones. It is much easier to uh, protect yourself than it is to find yourself on a ventilator or in a casket. So uh, just, just just look out for yourselves and for your loved ones. Um, you're doing it not just for you. You're doing it for everybody. As I mentioned uh, last week, last week's show, I talked about the fact that, believe it or not, we'll be going back to the polls again soon in March. The uh, Richmond County Splosta referendum uh, will be up for a vote. Uh, so we'll spend some time probably during the month of February exploring the various aspects of that SPLOST project so that you are informed about that and you can make a decision as to whether that's something that you should support. Uh, so we want to continue uh, on this theme of making you an informed voter and a more engaged citizen. When people understand what's going on, they're more likely to participate. So that's the purpose of Local Matters, making sure that you are uh, informed. Uh, always want to remind you if there is a show that you missed, if there is a show that you want to share uh, with uh, somebody who you think needs to hear the message, please don't hesitate to do that. Uh, all the shows are listed on my website. There is a Local Matters tab at JaniceAllenJackson.Weebly.com. Also, you can go directly to SoundCloud in the tabs. Uh, the, excuse me, the shows are there as well. You go to SoundCloud uh, Local Matters podcast uh, and all the shows will be there and it's pretty easy to share those with somebody either via email, text, etc, etc. I thank you all for being a great audience and please remember uh, you listen to this show here on WKZK on Wednesday afternoons uh, but you can listen to a podcast anytime, any place as long as you have your computer or your cell phone uh, listen to it at your leisure uh, so that uh, you can take advantage of the information that is being provided to you. Uh, again, I wish you the very, very best 2021. Uh, we're going to make this the best year that we can by uh, being good citizens and being responsible uh, for our actions and our thoughts. I close with my favorite Bible verse from 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7. For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. This show is designed to contribute to each of those, giving you the power that comes with knowledge, demonstrating love for your local community, and offering you wisdom for decision-making so that you possess a sound mind when it comes to these topics. Please tune in next Wednesday at 1.30 p.m. here on WKZK, 1600 AM, 103.7 FM, and WKZK.net, because local matters.